Well, good morning. It is good to be together, to worship the Lord together. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, where we will be continuing uh, through our series on in the book of Proverbs. Uh, one practice that I wanted to, to put before you, I was reminded of it on Friday as I was listening to a teaching, and it's very helpful, is to, when you come to a portion of text, could be a chapter, you could do this with a whole book of the Bible, uh, you can do this with, with uh, selected verses uh, in the Bible, but is to, after reading through the text, summarize what that text is. And if I were to summarize uh, Proverbs chapter 4, I would summarize it in this way. Proverbs chapter 4 is a father's appeal to his son of the merit of the tradition of identifying, desiring, and walking in the way of wisdom while avoiding the way of folly. As I was contemplating and studying this text this week, I thought a helpful illustration might be found in the musical and later turned into a movie called The Fiddler on the Roof. If you have seen this, uh, you know what a delightful story it is. Uh, It's a story that centers around a poor Jewish family living in imperial Russia at the turn of the 20th century. This farmer, Tevia by name, and his wife have five daughters, and the story is about their life in a small Jewish village prior to the Great War in and around the year 1905. The struggles of everyday life and the growing threat of conflict are shown through, through Tevia's perspective. On the backdrop of the, the situations that they face, the challenges and the tensions and of everyday life and the growing tension in the world around them, there is a constant threat to Tevia's way of life, as he calls their tradition, right? And he says that multiple times through the film. I have not seen the musical, so I don't know if they're different. I've only seen... The film, but the struggle between modern changes that are coming to their village and Tevia's desire to keep the traditions of his people are evident throughout the film. But this is, this is, uh, is this what we encounter here in Proverbs 4? Mainly a father holding tightly to his traditions like Tevia in The Fiddler on the Roof, hoping to pass these traditions on to the next generation. Well, to answer that question, I would say yes and no. There are similarities, but there are great differences to what we see in Proverbs chapter 4 and what's displayed in holding to the way of life that Tevia was so desperately trying to hold on to. In fact, as I thought about this more, I thought, you know, a, 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 a better depiction of the attitude that I see in Proverbs chapter 4 might be uh, displayed through, uh, if you've seen the, the TV series, The Mandalorian, their creed. Simply, this is the way. And what you see as you watch this fictional character is that regardless of, of how difficult the action or the attitude is for this character, there was a strong resolve because this is simply the way to be as a Mandalorian in this fictional story. Uh, if you are familiar with this show, don't take this analogy too far because it breaks down if you, if you walk too far down that road. But as an example of the attitude or the disposition that the character displays, it serves us well. This is the way. That is essentially what the father is telling the son as he displays and, and as he uh, declares tradition. 
And so uh, Tevye's view of tradition, we see it less like Proverbs 4 than the example of the Mandalorian. But essentially what we encounter in Proverbs 4 is the ancient path, the way of wisdom. As I talked about in chapter 2, we'll see it throughout the book. But what we also saw in chapter 2 is that the way of wisdom leads ultimately to Christ. In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, the, the, the nine chapters of Proverbs that we will be preaching through uh, expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, the second two-thirds of Proverbs we will be preaching thematically uh, because it would take a really long time to go through each one of the individual statements. Uh, we'd be here for quite some time. But we are going to pull out themes in that last second half of Proverbs. But these first nine chapters, uh, there are 10 paternal appeals. The father making a plea to his son, or as we see in our case today, sons, in three instances. Uh, we see, uh, sorry, in 10, in 10 different appeals that he gives uh, to his sons to get their attention, to listen to what he is saying. And these appeals deal with the way of wisdom versus the way of folly and how to remain on that path. The big idea that I hope we walk away with today is that the path of wisdom, this ancient path worth walking, leads ultimately to Christ, whereas the path of folly leads ultimately to destruction. So let's look at our first portion of text, the first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 4. Say this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so the first uh, idea that we are confronted with in this, these first nine verses is the way worth walking. It is not a new concept for the book of Proverbs. This, has been, uh, this is a reiteration of the father to the son, encouraging, challenging, uh, pointing his son toward the path of wisdom and calling him to walk in this path. This is the fifth paternal appeal here, uh, in one of three places where the noun is in its plural form. Three times in these first nine chapters, we hit this plural word where it's sons. And so the wisdom here is intended to be passed on and given without prejudice to all who will listen within your sphere of influence. We can, we can read through Proverbs and say, oh, this is one father telling his one son. This was intended to be wisdom passed on to point. As I said in, 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 when I preached in chapter 2, almost as a signpost at the beginning of the trail saying, walk this way. This is the way. This is the path of wisdom. And so in verse 1, we see again the father, listen Sons, to the Father's instruction, be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, good learning. For, do not forsake my teaching. 
Essentially, what the father is telling his sons here is, I'm giving you a worthy education, helpful knowledge. In this tradition of passing on instructions, and then what the father does next is he says, this is a line of succession, like my father invested in me and I am investing in you. And so he's calling his children to continue in the tradition of passing on the way of wisdom. As, as the father's father had done with him, the grandfather, so the father is engaging in this tradition of passing instruction on to his children. Now, modern culture seems generally to hold a negative outlook on tradition. And, and I would say, from my perspective, that negative outlook on tradition seems to be growing uh, throughout our society. Certainly, some traditions that we have within our culture, and, uh, they're ungodly and unhelpful to society. But as Bruce Waltke writes, he says this, he says, quote, tradition can become a cycle of deprivation or a cycle of affirmation. Breaking the bad cycles and continuing the good ones are what wise parenting entails. What the father is emphasizing here is the necessity for parents to pass along a strong biblical worldview, that is, thinking submitted to the Lord, and, God, and God-honoring practices, that is, actions submitted to the Lord. So this path of wisdom, the Father is saying, submit your thinking to the Lord and submit your acting to the Lord. As a side note, when Scripture references generational curses, this is what it's referring to. Parents can pass along to their children sinful or harmful patterns and habits, or they can pass along God-honoring biblical patterns to the next generation. And that generation can pass it to the next generation and so on. This is the tradition the father in Proverbs desires to pass along to his son and sons. And so I think it begs the question for us to ask, what is then tradition? Ray Ortland approaches this question by writing this. He says, what is tradition? Tradition is previous generations handing down to us something of their own. Our forefathers are not disqualified from speaking into our lives just by the accident of their death. In fact, they have an advantage over us. They fought the good fight. They finished the race. They kept the faith, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 17. And later, Ortland adds, uh, when looking at those faithful saints, he adds some examples. Augustine. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, just to name a few imperfect examples of faithful saints upon whose shoulders we stand on. When we look to examples of those who have walked the path of wisdom before us, Ortland writes, though, quote, we do not have to imitate their style, we would be fools not to imitate their faith. That's why I encourage people to read historical Christian biographies. Read stories of saints who have faced opposition, who have faced trials and tribulations, hardships, but yet held on in faith to the goodness of Jesus. Those who faced theological battles, battles over single words, or even sometimes a single letter in the word. And, and there's arguments and sorting this out. And what does this mean? And how do we understand God? And, and there's, there is a lot of words written for us to benefit from on those faithful saints who have walked before us. And I encourage you, 
read. Read of those accounts, of those who have come before us. And this is what the Father is saying here at the beginning. He's saying, just as my Father walked not perfectly, if you know David's life, he was not perfect before the Lord by any means, but he walked trusting in the goodness of God and invested in Solomon, his son. And so Solomon says, I am doing the same. So doing the same. Over and above just following tradition for the sake of tradition, the Father is speaking to something deeper in these verses. We see verses 5 through 9, where the father, after saying this is a tradition that we have walked, he calls his son to get wisdom. In verses 5, get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. What he's speaking to in these few verses here, and actually multiple points throughout the chapter, is he's speaking to desire. He pleads with his children, set your desires on wisdom, on godly wisdom and attaining that wisdom. The implication here is that the way of the fool is a natural desire. We don't have to really work at that, at that path. We naturally walk on that one. But this, the way of wisdom, it is an unnatural, or maybe a better stated, a supernatural or divinely given desire to walk this path of wisdom. And it is worth pursuing, worth asking for. We are given an example not only by Solomon's words here in Proverbs chapter 4, but by his initial actions. I say initial because he did not remain on this path, but that's another story maybe when we preach through Ecclesiastes. But he began well, and at least at this point in his life, he is walking in, in the way of wisdom. We see his... his uh, his inauguration as king, as a king of Israel, found in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to read through. It's a larger part of text, but I'm going to emphasize certain parts. Um, so we'll be looking at 1 Kings 3, 3, verse 3 through verse 15, where the historian writes this. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. The Lord... And jumping down to verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that uh, none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. 
And if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Solomon seemingly took David's charge to heart. Just one chapter earlier, David commanded this to his son in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where he said to Solomon, Be strong, show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. We see this displayed in, in chapter 3, and Solomon brings his petition to the Lord. We see Solomon intentionally seeking wisdom. We see Solomon humbling himself in the fear of the Lord. Notice Solomon responded to the gift of wisdom by worshiping God. Right? He didn't just wake up the next day and go, that was a weird dream. All right, what do I have on the agenda today? No, he responded immediately, left the place that he was, went to Jerusalem, to the place where God's presence was, to the Ark of the Covenant, and worshiped. He offered sacrifices, which at that time was the, the, the form of worship. So not only did Solomon listen to the requests of his father to desire wisdom and take them to heart, but also he, he also obediently sought wisdom as David had instructed him to do. Solomon's desire for wisdom, as he obediently sought wisdom, as he listened to the advice of his father, we see that Solomon's desire for wisdom grew. And so we see in verses 6 through 9, as we wrap up this first section, Solomon tells his sons, do not forsake wisdom. Do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. And throughout Proverbs, the father uses the imagery of two women to help his son or sons better understand his meaning. In Proverbs, wisdom, as we have already seen, is personified as a woman. And contrasted, as we'll see next week, with the way of folly that is personified as, an, as the adulterous woman. The father is using this imagery to speak to the son's desires. He instructed his son, desire wisdom. Above anything this world has to offer, desire godly wisdom. Do not turn aside. Essentially what he's saying, to use our modern vernacular, this is the way. Walk in it. Or to point back to Tevia, tradition, right? It's good. Walk in it. This isn't just doing this for the sake of that it's always been done. It's because there's life at the end of this path. Follow this path, this ancient path. Love the way of wisdom as you would love the wife God has given you. Do not step aside for the counterfeit which leads to destruction. Again, we see the path of wisdom. This ancient path worth walking leads ultimately to Christ whereas the path of folly leads ultimately to destruction. So the next chunk of text that we will run into is, is verses 10 through 19, where the father contrasts the way of wisdom, the way worth pursuing with the way of folly, the way worth avoiding. And so let's read through those verses beginning in verse 10. 
Psalmist, or the Proverbs writes this, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. In this uh, portion of text, we come to the sixth paternal appeal. Again, beginning very similar to the rest of the appeals, where, where the father says, listen up. Setting your foot on the path of wisdom is not the easy way, but it is the sure path that leads to life and honor. So the father calls again similarly to what we read before. Desire wisdom, pursue wisdom, guard wisdom. This is a verb, an action word, something that, 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 that here is to do, to guard wisdom, to watch over, protect from attack. Now the implication is that attacks on wisdom will surely come from the outside, those who actively seek to lead you from the path of wisdom, but they will also come from within. Your wayward heart's desire will attempt to lead you off the path of wisdom. So the Father's instruction, guard wisdom. So the first question that comes to my mind is, how? How are we to guard wisdom? We guard wisdom by consistently being in God's word. God's word being in us. That we know God's word, not just here, but we are formed by God's word. In fact, Paul would put it this way to the, to the Christians in the church in Rome, Romans 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world shape your thinking, acting, and being. Don't let this world shape it, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by God's word. Conformed not to the way of thinking and thinking of this world, but to the way and thinking of God, which is only accomplished through the work of his word. We must be people of his word, submitted to the authority of God's word in our life. And then Paul said to the church in Rome that, that it is testing that helps us to discern the path of wisdom from the path of folly. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon rightly notes that, quote, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes. Because it's true. Because almost right will get us in a bad place. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. And this is the Father's repetitive appeal. Like, when we see Scripture repeat something, God does not mince words. It is important. He's saying, listen. No, no, really listen. No, 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 really listen. 
the path of wisdom, our hearts attempt to derail us from this path. The world attempts to misguide us off this path. Pursue it. Long for it. Love it. Godly wisdom. So the Father says, enter not the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Flee from it. Take drastic measures if needed. If that podcast is full of worldly thinking, turn it off. Or listen to it with a healthy dose of skepticism and a healthier, larger dose of God's word. Make sure that it is God's word that is the largest influence in our lives. Get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Avoid the path of folly. And then the Father in verses 14 through 17 gives a picture of those on this path of destruction, those on the path of folly. And he says, they are consumed with thoughts and actions contrary to the way of the Lord. Now, we, we looked in, in chapter 2 of, of different categories of people, the fool, the simple. There's three different categories that, that, that Proverbs lists here of people who are either passively rejecting God or actively rejecting God. And so there are some who are blatantly rejecting God. They are aware of what they do. They are aware of what they are, they are thinking. And, and, and they make a cognitive choice to rebel against God's way. They're actively trying to derail those on the path of wisdom. And then there are those who are passively or inadvertently, they remain unaware of their way. But yet it's still a selfish and worldly-centered way full of desires that ultimately consume them. And the Father says, avoid that path. Why? Because it leads to destruction. It does not lead to life. And then as we read in verses 18 and 19, he contrasts these two ways. Just to make it very clear to us, he says, the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn. It's illuminated. You can see clearly. I think of Proverbs 119, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Walk in the light. The Father says the path of folly is like deep darkness wherein those who walk along it stumble ultimately into destruction. But the path of wisdom, it leads us ultimately to Christ. And I think as I read through verses 18 and 19, and I see this contrast of darkness and light, other verses come to mind. And I think that's intentional. They come to mind. Like the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9 too, those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. John, in his gospel, the final gospel of account of Jesus' life that we're given in the gospel of John, his introduction, which is a beautiful, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, John chapter 1, where he says that in him, in Jesus, was, it was life, and this life was the light of men. Guess what? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just camp out in John chapter 1 for a while. It is glorious. What we see in this 
Second section, very similar to the first, is that the father appeals to his sons, diligently seek wisdom. Walk the path of wisdom in the light. This ancient path worth walking is the way of life that leads ultimately to Christ. Whereas the path of folly in darkness, avoid it. It leads ultimately to destruction. After making his plea to avoid folly and desire wisdom, the father turns his attention from setting your course and avoiding getting off course to maintaining that course. And so we'll read our final verses in chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. Say this, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In this seventh paternal appeal that we see in the book of Proverbs, we see the first two verses reiterating his earlier plea, pay careful attention, careful attention to the way you are walking, the path that you are on, set set your course upon the path of wisdom and maintain your course by the grace of God. And then we see in verses 23 through 27, through the end of the chapter, We see that the father calls him to guard these words of wisdom with your heart. And that word heart is the Hebrew word that essentially means your inner person. That that, that part of you that makes you you that nobody necessarily sees but everybody knows. It's that inner you. And so there's this, this charge to take scripture. Don't just let it remain something that's out here, but get it here. Let it shape you. Be shaping who you are, what you think, the way you act. Let let God's word shape you. He's calling his son to hold God's word more precious than anything this world offers. More than the knowledge or fame or fortune of this world. More precious than even his own life. It's a charge to us to let God's word be the loudest influence and the strongest desire of your heart. And placing God's word as authority over you, not the other way around. Submitting your intellect, your way of thinking, your experiences, what you've walked through, your thoughts, submitting those to the authority of Scripture, not translating Scripture through those things. And then the father, in a last charge to his son, says your whole being must be pursuing wisdom that leads ultimately to Christ. And so he walks through these different pictures, heart, mouth, lips, eyes, feet. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Literally, that's your inner person, like I mentioned before. He says, put away all crooked speech. Literally, that word means mouth. And he says, put away devious Talk, literally that word means lips. And he says, set your eyes, look directly forward, keep your gaze straight. 
and then your feet. Do not swerve or wander from the path. Essentially what the Father is saying is all of you, not just an intellectual pursuit, not just learning information, not just an emotional response, all of you pursuing godly wisdom. I mentioned Romans chapter 12, verse 2 earlier. But in the chapter right before that, Paul gives a similar charge to believers where he he calls them to present all of themselves, their whole bodies as worship, a living sacrifice, as an offering unto the Lord. To put it another way, Paul of himself would write it this way, where he would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This picture of not just a component of our lives. We as Westerners like to compartmentalize things. We have a box and a category that things fall into. This blows that apart. Because it says, this pursuit of, wis- of godly wisdom, that path of wisdom that leads ultimately, ultimately to Christ, it is to invade every area of your life. Every relationship, every thought, every action. It is to invade every part of you. The words your lips speak, the way your eyes look, the path your feet walk every area of your life. Because the path of wisdom, this ancient path, is worth walking, and it leads ultimately to Christ. Whereas the path of folly leads ultimately to destruction. This past Friday night, we had the opportunity to host a small group at our home uh, where we hosted uh, what's called a secret church. This is the 22nd secret church that they have done we simulcasted Pastor David Platt teaching from 6.30 p.m. until 1 a.m. It was awesome. Nobody fell asleep. Well, maybe nodded off, but nobody fell asleep. He preached from 6.30, to 1, 6:30 p.m. to 1 a.m. on the topic of identity. Where the first part of this, he, took, uh, he, he laid down a biblical picture of who God has made us to be. And then the second half, on the current cultural attacks upon that identity. Now more than ever, I was sitting there listening to this teaching, and I I just thought, now more than ever do we need to walk the path of wisdom, which leads us to Christ. More than dwelling upon the sin that is painfully prevalent within our culture, we must set our eyes upon the goal of the path of wisdom. The goal of wisdom is not behavior modification. The goal of wisdom is not escaping hell or judgment. The goal of wisdom is not even moral living in this life. The goal or purpose of wisdom is to magnify the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. Paraphrasing a sermon by a 19th century Scottish minister, Raymond Ortland writes this, quote, even when we see the stupidity of our sins and how empty they are and how they only make us sad, that realization still does not change us. We start changing only when we see Christ. When we see that Christ will make us alive in ways our most darling sins cannot. When we see that in Christ we are not losing anything, 
but, but our damnation and gaining everything we truly desire. The gospel shows us Jesus pouring out his lifeblood so that we can live. The gospel says, look to him, come to him, follow him. You will stop dying, you will start living, and it will never end. That, brothers and sisters, is good news. But it brings up a question. Are you walking the path of wisdom that leads to Christ? If not, I implore you today, turn to Jesus. Place your trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look to him for forgiveness of your sin. And look to him for righteousness before God and a restored relationship with God. You can turn right now and pray to him, repenting of your sinful rebellion against God. And turning to him in faith and trust in who he is and what he has done. Finding assurance that all God has done through Christ is enough. The way of wisdom leads to Christ. So ultimately, to desire the path of wisdom is to desire the way of Christ. Friend, may you choose to follow Christ with your whole being. May you desire the way of wisdom that God's word would influence you the path of biblical godly tradition which leads you to Christ. May you reject the path of folly and may you pass along this tradition, not only to your children, but to all within your sphere of influence by word and deed to the glory of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, this morning we come before you and we humble ourselves. And God, we confess our great need for you, our great need for your wisdom that is found in your word. May we hear these challenges and encouragements from the Father to the Son. And God, may we too desire to walk the path of wisdom which leads to you. God, may we reject the path of folly in whatever form it is presented to us. May we be people that are so immersed in your word that we recognize when your word is being contradicted. And may we humble ourselves and seek your face, turning to you, and giving grace, or glory, and honor, and praise to you and you alone. Work in us, not for our comfort, but work in us for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.